Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Dr. Sophie Bostock is a sleep expert, and I say that as a former insomnia sufferer, so I've seen my fair share. Now, sharing the science of sleep and performance in actionable ways through keynote talks, one-to-one coaching, corporate workshops, and just constant brilliant content I love following, I'm lucky to call her both an expert that I learn from and a friend. So, hello, Sophie, and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast. Hi, Dan. Thanks very much for having me. In your own words, before we get going, what drew you to the world of sleep as your particular area of expertise, just to set the scene for our audience so they know? It was an accident. I was hunting for happiness. I was actually studying a PhD in a field called psychobiology, which is all about that mind-body connection. And this was 10 years ago. I was at UCL as a student. And I wanted to design a trial where I could investigate whether making people happy through more positive emotions would reduce their stress. And to do that, I decided to use mindfulness meditation. So I tracked down this company that were five minutes away that had a meditation app called Headspace. And I used this app in a trial. And eight weeks later, a lot of people kind of came back having used the app. And uh, they said, I don't know if I've learned to meditate, but I'm definitely sleeping better. And so when I looked at the data, I realized that actually the better sleepers were the ones who were happier, who were less stressed. And this was really opening the door to me to show that better sleep and better mental health are absolutely intertwined and one affects the other. And so at that point, I became hooked and I went to go and work with a team at Sleepio who have an online digital sleep improvement program. And now I work kind of independently doing some quite interesting projects with lots of clients from different fields like the military, the police and sport. And it never ceases to fascinate me. So the topic we want to focus on in this episode specifically is sleeping in an uncertain world with stress. So just tell me from what you've seen, are more people sleeping badly currently than in the pre-pandemic world? Well, it's not just me, but lots of researchers around the world have found quite consistent findings, actually, which is that we've seen changes globally to the amount of time people sleep the quality of their sleep, and actually the time of night when they're sleeping. So just as one example, study from King's College London, they published a survey in June. So this was towards the start of lockdown last year, suggesting that one in two adults were reporting worse sleep in response to the pandemic. But that increased to two thirds for those who acknowledged that they were finding coronavirus stressful. But at the same time, probably one in four people actually said they were waking up feeling more rested. So it didn't affect everybody in the same way. But in terms of the time that people were sleeping, we tended to see bedtime shift back and wake times also shift back, which makes sense if you don't have to get up to catch a six o'clock train. Uh, But I think probably... The most common issue, which I've seen working with companies, loads of people saying, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. What can I do? So what kind of things do you think are actually causing us to struggle more with our sleep now than before? 
Oh, it's, it's a whole different kind of mixed picture, but th there's three kind of main systems which control when we sleep. And you can kind of think of coronavirus hitting all three, like a triple whammy. So on the one hand, we've got our circadian rhythms, our internal body clock, and that's our kind of pre-programmed 24-hour cycle that we've been designed to be more active during daylight hours and to rest at night. And we rely on these signals like our wake-up time, like light and movement and also food to tell us that it's daytime. And the absence of those things helps to cue up that we should be ready for sleep. So, of course, as soon as your routines start to get a bit more haphazard, you no longer have to do the same things at the same time every day, your body clocks get quite confused. And the more time you spend indoors under artificial light and the less exposure you have to the much more intense natural daylight, the more your internal sort of master clock is uncertain what's day, what's night. So we've had sleepiness kind of intruding on the day, but also that increased alertness increasing in the nighttime. So that's your body clocks. And then the, the second system is something called sleep pressure, which is a bit more straightforward. And really, this just is something which accumulates a drowsy inducing chemical called adenosine and the longer you have been awake the more of this adenosine you build up like a sleepy pressure and so if you've had a little bit less pressure on during the day and you've had a long nap perhaps or you've decided to have a bit of a lion then when it comes to bedtime you're not going to have as much sleep pressure so it's going to be harder to get to sleep. But then finally, I think probably the most important system which is being disrupted is that balance of stress or relaxation. So on the one hand, these two branches of our autonomic nervous system, which look after all of those processes that we don't usually think about, like breathing, heart rate and temperature. On the one hand, we've got the sympathetic branch, which is our fight or flight stress response, which is designed to enhance survival. So if we're in danger, then we release this cascade of stress hormones. But on the other hand, we've got our rest or digest system. And that's what we want, really, for a, for a restful night's sleep. But it kind of makes sense that if you are in danger, if you're surrounded by a pack of saber-toothed tigers, you don't, you don't want to be able to get into a nice deep sleep. So over generations, we've evolved so that if we feel under threat, our sleep becomes lighter. So cortisol, that nasty kind of stress hormone that hangs around when things get a bit much, that banishes melatonin. And so we're less ready for bed. We tend to have lighter sleep and we're more likely to wake up during the night. I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily recognise that they've been stressed. You know, maybe their job's been OK. But what research has found is that the things which spike that cortisol response are situations which are uncontrollable, unpredictable, new or threaten our status in some way. And that might be, you know, if you're an athlete and you can no longer go and train, that's still a threat to your status, your identity. So it might not feel stressful to you, but it's kind of annoying and it interferes with your normal social life. Um, also, loneliness is another stressor which can increase cortisol and um, increase the rates of insomnia. So it's a, it's a triple whammy, Dan. specifically for managing our sleep in times like this, 
what are your top tips or pieces of advice or opportunities to improve it that we might have for um, certainly the people that you've been working with, right? So I'm sure you've been giving out lots of lots of advice and hopefully getting some results back from people and whether it's working or not. So what is and isn't working? I think one of the most useful things is just reassurance that poor sleep and anxiety are bi-directionally connected. So even if you wouldn't normally think about yourself as an anxious person, one night of poor sleep can kind of increase the sensitivity of the part of our brain that switches on your stress response. So the amygdala, it's like the gatekeeper. And we know that it becomes more sensitive when you haven't had a good night's sleep. So what you can find, particularly in the middle of the night, is that you react to situations in this very inflated way that, you know, after a good night's sleep, you would never react like this. And you can get stuck in a cycle of worry, which is not logical. It's not like you. And you know that when you wake up in the morning, you're going to feel totally differently. So in that moment, in the middle of the night, you've got to slow your amygdala down. You can't get caught in these trains of negative thought. And one of the great hacks to sort of stop the amygdala in its tracks is just simply to breathe and to breathe slowly. And this sends a direct signal into the brain through the vagus nerve that you are not in danger. Because if you were in danger and the saber-toothed tigers are waking up, you're gonna be gasping or you're gonna be running and you're gonna be panting. So just simply breathing all the way out and all the way in. And I actually happened to watch Karate Kid 2 last night. And the advice that Mr. Miyagi gave to Daniel-san as he was trying to calm him down was simply breathe. Um, So that's the first thing. Secondly, I would say is a sleep diary. This is incredibly old school, actually a pen and paper sleep diary when you track the time that you went to sleep, the time that you woke up and how long you were awake for if you woke up during the night. And the reason that I recommend a pen and paper diary is because that conscious action of writing these things down and looking at patterns and you can absolutely draw from a tracker if you use one but actually that deliberate act of seeing what it looks like over the course of the week can be very powerful sometimes it tells you that your sleep is not as bad as you thought and other times you actually spot patterns or you're like oh yeah tuesday night that was that was when i opened that uh, last bottle of wine and you start to realize that there are things that you can do and the more you can see progress and feel less worried about sleep the better your sleep is going to get and then the, probably the the last simple thing is if the world feels uncertain and we're all living in this context where there's lots of things out of our control. You know, take control of what you can. Plan, plan your wind down routine. Plan the time that you are going to spend an hour before bed. What are you going to do that's going to make you feel good before sleep? And if you just leave it to chance, I guarantee you're not going to end up with a delightful hour that's suddenly free. So you've got to protect that time. And we all know that, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were all thirsty for information. And lots of people got into the habit of searching the news, searching social media. And, and, you know, it's not your fault. There's part of your brain which is craving reassurance. But we're in a global pandemic. There's no brilliant news that's going to reassure you at that time actually the more news you get the more worried you get so that last hour of the day is precious so put an alarm in your phone for the final hour of the day and that's your cue to switch off and plan in something nice you know listen to a podcast have a lovely warm hot bath read a book 
just chat to your partner. Quality time that doesn't involve sort of dependence on technology. It's so simple, but most of us forget to do it. So plan it in. And before we close this out, a question that I'm sure other people want to know, what time do you go to bed? Oh, usually I'm sort of switching off by 10, but I'll read. I often, I'll read in bed for about half an hour before I switch the light out. I'm super glad you said that because I genuinely thought you were about to say 8pm 8, 8 or something. You know, you do have these health experts that you talk to and then they, they give you all this advice that you really buy into and then you ask them what they do and you're like, oh, okay. You can shift things around a little bit. You shouldn't feel anxious if the routine doesn't pan out exactly the way that you plan, but it's much more likely to if you do actually have that plan in place and that routine. And familiarity here is absolutely key. You know, I'll speak to people and I say, well, I tried a hot bath and it didn't work, so I'm not going to do that again. But if you do it once, then it's new and you've got expectations that it's suddenly going to make a difference. But actually, if you repeat something a few times, five, six times, the brain learns that that's what you do before bed. This is exactly what parents do as they help their kids wind down for bed. And they know that actually if they do the same things in the same order, then there's a greater readiness for sleep. So it might take a little bit of time, but more times you repeat it, the more kind of consistent and effect that will have on your sleep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week. Mm-hmm.